Hello and welcome to Adrian Goldberg's talk show. This time, Mal Young, TV producer and writer. I met him just after he'd taken a TV drama masterclass for the Royal Television Society in Birmingham. Mal started his career on the 1980s TV soap Brookside, beginning as an extra, eventually becoming producer and achieving record ratings in the process. His tenure was notable in 1994 for the first lesbian kiss to be shown before the watershed on British television. In 1997, Mal went on to oversee the BBC's continuing dramas, so he was responsible for big, long-running, established shows like EastEnders and Casualty. He also helped to launch Holby City and the daytime soap Doctors. He works a lot in the United States now, where he had two years on the long-running US soap The Young and the Restless. I started off by asking him, how do you write a hit TV drama? <laughs> I wish I knew how you wrote a hit drama. There's no formula. That's how you do it. You know, there's so much television being made at the moment. There's more TV drama being written and produced now than ever in the history of television since it was invented, which is fantastic for viewers. It's great for people who make TV. But it also means that the standards are very, very high. You're competing with great uh, movie writers and uh, big names worldwide. There's a globalization of, of dramas um, going on. Um, all these different platforms, streamers, Netflix, Amazon, um, Disney Plus opened last week in America. So it's like the Wild West, what's going on, you know? It's like a gold rush. But like with any craft, you know, you have to keep at it. You have to develop your craft. You have to look for new ways of saying things and to entertain an audience, to grab their attention in amongst all these... Hun you know, there's 550 drama series being made this year. So how do you stand a chance with all that? Then your idea has to be the one that pops up and grabs the attention, grabs the eyeballs. But you took over and developed Brookside. You've worked on EastEnders. You helped to launch Holby City <laughs> in the United States. You've worked on The Young and the Restless. There must be some common themes across those hit soaps? I think the, the common theme is knowing that you are telling stories to an audience. And a, most of what I do is very contemporary. I don't think I've done, done many shows that are period pieces because I like the fact that you're reflecting reality and reflecting an audience's ex, um, expectations of their own reality. I like television myself where I sit at home thinking oh yeah I, I relate to that and that or I identify with that I get that and so that's the common theme I think viewers like that thing where you hold up a mirror to society and say this is you warts and all but you can do that with sci-fi you know we did it with Doctor Who we would always look for themes that even though it's about monsters it's actually no it's about the human condition it's about us as human beings and as long as there's human beings then there's stories to be told and the, but then so the trick is is to go out there and look for those stories and think how can i tell that story in a way that will touch an audience to make them lean forward and and, and engage through their tv set in terms of triggering an audience reaction, how important is it to have a storyline that will somehow resonate with popular media elsewhere? I think back even to the days before social media, you know, that first lesbian kiss on Brookside, which so excited the tabloids. Is that part of ensuring that you have a hit programme? 
Yeah, I think, you know, you need something. I think we now call it being noisy. You know, when I'm pitching shows or creating new formats in America, particularly, they always want something that's a bit noisy. They ask you, what's the Twitter line? How would you put it on this on a poster? And that's actually quite a good discipline to have because, you know, you when I hear about a new show that is coming on air, the one thing that someone, you know, a friend or I'm going to read it online, it's just going to be a, a line or two that says, yeah, it's a new drama about X, Y, and Z. And so you need those things in, in, in your show, your idea that suddenly grabs the attention and makes you go, oh, that's interesting, you know. Uh, how's that going to pop through? What What's going to grab the attention and make you find your device whether it's your tv or your computer or your phone and seek out that that one show what do you remember about the creation of that moment then was that engineered to generate a, a tabloid response the what the lesbian kiss the bro- yeah the oh um i don't think it no it wasn't actually engineered i mean phil and i phil redmond and i used to always have uh, a, a, a sort of half joking line between us called a cynical ratings grabbing exercise <laughs> and and we would admit that's okay to do that occasionally because you would have to poke the audience and remind them with, particularly with a soap that's on all year round that we're still there we weren't like a a 10 part drama series that would get lots of promotion and lots of posters and then go away we were there all year round and with eastenders brookie holby you would have to find ways of reminding them. So you would come up with those cynical ratings grabbing exercise moments. Um, But the lesbian kiss wasn't one of those. It was born out of some research, me, you know, me taking my influences from what I was reading in the media and what was going on around me and seeing in movies and thinking something's changing about gender, about sexuality, about young people. And that interested me, and I thought we're onto something here. And that was something Phil Redman taught me that how to sniff out a good story. So actually, you know, probably the least cynical thing I've done, and probably and that and it worked really well because we we went into it with eyes open. We just didn't know what to ex- expect. We didn't know we were doing anything groundbreaking. We just wanted to tell a character-driven story that we thought was based on people's real experiences. And Brookside really was your entree to the world of show running, wasn't it? But you started at the bottom, at a, <laughs> at a for television, a relatively advanced age. Oh, yes. I mean, yeah, I was in my late 20s and I was, you know, I was a TV addict. I was a child of the 60s and 70s. It was my babysitter. It was my best friend. It was my window on the world. I watched everything from Thunderbirds, XL, Fireball XL5 to the Beverly Hillbillies, the Wednesday play, Kathy Come Home. So I was soaking up all these influences. And that, I think, must have been what triggered my interest in storytelling and great characters. So I had all these amazing things influencing me through those decades. Um, but I had no idea how you know a guy a scouser with long hair was going to get into TV. It didn't feel like TV was made by me, by by people like me. So what were you doing then before? So I, I was a designer for Littlewoods, who were the biggest employer in Liverpool. I went to art school in the early 70s, became a designer. and But I was playing in bands. Everyone who in Liverpool learns to play guitar, don't they? And, um, and so I was playing in bands... And, 
and someone said to me, oh, you can you could become an extra. And I couldn't believe it. It was like someone was inviting me into an exclusive club. I was like, what, they're gonna pay me to go onto a TV set? I just wanted to look at the cameras and because I was so, I, you know, and I always, <laughs> growing up, I, I used to love the Christmas edition of Blue Peter. When the cameras pull back and you would see the big elephant doors of the studio open and they would bring in the Sally Army brass band and, and, and all the choirs. But the glimpses of the cameras and the studio walls excited me. And I said, I want to be part of that. But how do you do it? There was no way I thought at the time I would go to find Television Center, never mind work there. But as luck would have it in the early 80s, Another long-haired scouser called Phil Redmond, who he started in television in his late 20s, um, decided to shake things up by creating a, a little show called Brookie, Brookside, built real houses, employed people who were new to TV. I was an extra. I met him and I stayed with him for 12, the next 12 years until I became his partner and he, he entrusted me to run the show. Extraordinary. Only in television can that work. Um, you know, and then I managed to get into the mainstream. Suddenly, places like the BBC were actually inviting me to go and work for them, which, you know, I would pinch myself. I never took it for granted. I want to talk about the switch to the United States, but of all the shows that you've been involved in in the UK, and there have been so many. We're looking at Holby City, Doctors, Doctor Who. I mentioned Brookside as well, obviously, which is the show here that you are most proud of? Oh, wow. I mean, God, this, it does feel like really hard to choose just one. I, I was very proud of what we did with Holby City to launch something that big so quickly in three months to go from nothing to, it was an overnight hit. And it's, I'm proud to say it's still on air. I think it's just hit 20 years. Uh, Doctors was, you know, another, you know, it, it was a hard birth. It was a, how do you do something at low cost? I wanted to do something in Birmingham that would give people new opportunities to break into television like I had. So proud of that, that they still, I, I tune in occasionally and watch it and I'm like, oh my God, they're still doing it and it's so great. Bringing back Doctor Who, a show that, you know, I watched as a kid and I got behind the sofa when that was on in 1963 and to have my hands on that, that, that was a big proud moment. But then, you know, I wanted to go to the States and, and try my hand there and see if I could take what I'd learned and bring something new there. And to be given a big iconic show like The Young and the Restless that had been around for 44 years at that point and be allowed to take that on and a whole new audience, a whole new way of, of looking at TV. That was a pretty proud moment as well. So what are the big differences then between making teleprograms in the UK compared to the US? Well, I think the differences used to be really wide differences in the past. I think we're seeing that um, division grow closer and closer now because of streaming, because of global shows. So you look at Succession, which is essentially made by British um, teams, but shot in the States. And it feels like it's about an American big family, uh, a media family, all rich people. But it, you look at the, the list of writers and Jesse Armstrong who created it, Brit, um, all the directors, Brits. Jesse Armstrong who made Peep Show. Peep Show, yeah. and he's writing this amazing show, Succession. 
and if that doesn't win every Emmy, you know, it's and it 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 so deserves to be recognised. So, but in the past, you know, America was very about aspiration. There, the America as a country is an aspirational country. Every everyone once thinks if you're homeless on the streets one day you might get your break and you'll start your million dollar company or you'll become the president of the united states and in britain we're so class driven that we no one wants to be the prime minister no we don't look up you know so we're we're all quite divided but that's but both countries are going through great change you know and class now is cutting in 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 america and it's actually you know their version of class is race you know and that's a big divide there and and there's big uh, debates going on there as it as in this country about immigration so all these issues are becoming quite global issues and that were so as two big nations there's a lot of there's a lot that binds us together and that we're facing as as two big nations and i think that affects the tv shows that we make so you know Netflix make a great drama like Narcos, where half of the episodes are in in Spanish. You know that that would never happen before. It's such an exciting period where, if you come up with a great idea, you will find someone to make it, and so it's less about. Brits versus American, it's just about great writing talent mm. now. You talk about the globalisation of television though, and uh, many of the great programmes that you referenced that you grew up with were very specifically rooted in the yeah. lived British experience, and it has to be said in many cases British working class experience, which found a yeah. voice through television. Are you worried that as we move towards a more globalised television industry, some of that voice will be lost or has been lost no i think you can have both i think you know there are still terrific shows here that are very british and very you know with a very authored voice remember you know we invented this whole thing with dickens and shakespeare we were good at it way before anyone else american tv was pretty much based on the film industry uh, and and star system Ours is based on theatre, Dickens and Shakespeare and literature. So ours goes back many more hundreds of years. And, you know, we want to still see ourselves. America still wants to see stories about themselves. Um, more so now. They, they, in the past, probably wanted to always see the aspirational side of life. But then suddenly shows came along like Roseanne that suddenly showed working class families um, having a nice time, you know, uh, and, and and sticking together, and it was about, but it, but they got no money, um, and so I think you can have a mix of both. I think you can have globalization, but you can have also localization. But the nice thing is, is those shows travel now more than ever before. So a show like Happy Valley, which is, I would say, intrinsically a British show, Sarah Lancashire, phenomenal great writing, great British writing in the grand tradition. Every second person I meet in the industry in America admires shows like that. They know about those shows. They, you know, they look up to them and it inspires them, which is great. Strikes me that all these years on, you're just as much of a telly addict as you ever were. I know it's your job, but you speak with real enthusiasm for modern TV productions as well. And you're enjoying this moment in the industry, which has kind of been re-energised by streaming. So 
Go on, off the cuff then. What are your top three? <laughs> but you can make it five if you like. Okay. Uh, you know, current or recent TV shows. Well, I, I am still a T. I'll always be a TV addict. And this is the best time ever to be a TV addict because there's so much of it. I can be very selective, but I end up watching everything. I'm obsessed with Succession, which I've mentioned a few times today to you. Um, I, I love uh, Chernobyl, you know. The fact that you can do... Five years ago, you couldn't have sold that show. You couldn't have got anyone interested into doing a British production about a Russian disaster, a nuclear disaster. Grim, you know, and there's not many heroes in there, you know, and it doesn't end well, and we, and we all know the ending. <laughs> it's like watching the Titanic. We know what is going to happen. And they still had the, me on the edge of my seat. That's great writing, great directing, great production. So isn't that great that that exists? Unbelievable on Netflix, a true story about a girl who in re real life was raped and no one believed her. And it was about the investigation about whether she was telling the truth or not. Again, had me in tears. It touched me in all the right ways. It, you know, so, so there's some important things going on like that. Um, I think they're my probably my top shows, but you know, I was like everyone else. I was glued to Game of Thrones, and we all debated about whether that was the right ending. Of course, it was. It was great. You know, they did a <laughs> terrific job. Twenty million dollars an episode. I can't wait for the next series of. Uh, Better Call Saul to to launch. Uh, that that launches in the states in February, so that's going to be my Monday night viewing, and that's quite interesting. In that we we can now you know some uh, platforms are binge, so you can watch all twelve episodes in one evening, or one, you know one weekend, and never get off the sofa and never get out of bed. But also someone like Apple TV, Apple Plus. Um, and Disney Plus, they're launching weekly because uh, they're recognizing that people also want that event in their week. So, you know, because like on a Sunday night in America, I think, oh, great. Tonight on HBO, I've got Silicon Valley, I've got John Oliver's show, and I've got Mrs. Fletcher. And they're my appointments to view, you know, so it's just like it was decades ago. And But then I can also go and watch the box set of an instant hit of 12 episodes on Netflix back to back I think that's a great time to be a TV addict and if you are a young or even an older Mal Young somebody who dreams of somehow making this stuff that you love watching compared to when you started is it easier harder or just the same now if you want to break through into the industry um, it's always going to be hard because you know, it's all about judgment and uh, talent and opinions and you're going to have to have a thick skin, whatever age you are. And you're going to, you know, I always just say to people, writing is like singing. You don't need any special equipment. With writing, the, the most equipment you need is a piece of paper and a pencil and just go and write. And, and develop your skills look at the world around you and tell stories about it test yourself watch tv it's the amount of writers or aspiring writers i meet who don't watch tv uh, and don't know what the latest standard is it's crazy because that's that's where you learn but that's that, that's where you see where we're up to and what what the where the bench is <laughs> benchmark is 
you need to then go above that because anything that you're thinking of now isn't going to be on air until two or three years so you have to be you know thick-skinned have perseverance but talent always comes through whatever age you are if you can write and you've got great scripts and you put in the work someone somewhere will read it and you put it out there and they'll respond to it and hopefully you'll get to the next stage and in the q a that you had at the royal television society in birmingham somebody asked you the question which kind of competitions should you mm. enter as a writer filmmaking competitions script writing competitions and your answer was well i i'm i worry about competitions where they ask people to pay to enter because i think that's not a competition that's someone making money out of people who are dreaming of being a, a writer and i that's that's a worry for me i think there's an awful lot of good places where you can enter valid uh, writing and directing filmmaking competitions where you are judged against your peers i think the bbc have a great writers room there are great places platforms online now where you can put your work out there but also you you know you can write your own samples and get people in the industry to read them they're your samples that's your calling card so it's not all just about competitions i just don't want people to think that that's you know we're living through this age of celebrity aren't we where singers don't have to develop their craft over a number of years my wife's a pop singer and was very successful Mario in the Wilson, 80s yeah. and you know she, she and i get annoyed at these competitions that kind of basically are popularity contests where you enter x factor or pop idol or whatever and win a competition that's not really about a craft and i think i'd like to see a return to the craft of things and developing your skills and not just the the shortcut and getting getting through and having an overnight success you know it's the long haul it's it's about dedicate you know it's a tough old game what you're getting into whether you're an actor director writer whatever in the industry it's an exciting industry there's lots of jobs but as with all those things you have to be good at it you have to be dedicated and you have to put the time in but you said that really if you want to be a writer doesn't matter how old you are doesn't matter what color your skin is doesn't matter what gender you are but there's one thing you've got to do right you know and people that that's all i ask them to, to recommend that they do because you you know people aren't going to look at the front cover of your uh, script and say oh what gender are they what color are they they will just say this is good writing or this is not good writing so if you feel you can write get out there and write you look at someone like lucy gannon um, hit after hit after hit uh, soldier soldier peak practice great writer really great i was privileged to to work with her for a short time um she didn't write until way um way, way into her later life after she'd been in the army after she'd been through um, a relationship she had stuff to talk about so actually the older you are the better because you've got stuff to write about you know about life Malia, pleasure to speak to you. Thank you so much for your time. You too, thank you.